Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this, the 29th episode of the Rambling Brews Podcast. I am your host, Tim, and I'm running on fumes, but I'm happy to report the birth of the heir to the Morell name. That's right, last week, my wife and I brought home a happy, healthy baby boy, and last night, I swear I heard him mumble, let's go, pens. So we're already off to a hot start, been getting little to no sleep, but it's an exciting time in my house right now. My two-year-old daughter's absolutely loving her little brother, so I'm so thankful for that. My wife and I, like I mentioned, are officially team no sleep, but... That won't keep me from being excited about the National Football League kicking off last week, college football being in full swing, and what's that? NHL training camp starts next week. The regular season is less than a month away. Oh, baby, as legendary announcer Bob Cole would say. I can't wait to get into all that. And obviously with the late nights with the baby, feeding the baby, changing the baby, all that stuff, I've been up. I've been watching all kinds of documentaries and shows. I can't wait to get into it all. Another day, another pod, another cold Coors Light. As I mentioned in the intro, the NFL kicked off week one last week and on the previous episode, episode 28, at the time it was about 12 days away from the NFL season and obviously last week I was in the hospital, my wife giving birth to my son and uh, I didn't have an episode so I wanted to take this time to recap this week the the main games from week one, uh, some of the highlights and dive into week two, some of the matchups coming up but um, you know, I, I gotta say I'm so excited for the NFL this year. Uh, typically, you know, the last couple of years, I really haven't been into it. Um, you know, I just, I, it, it's something about it. I just kind of got away from it. I quit playing fantasy football, although I did uh, join a league this year and I know I had a couple people reach out to me to be in their league and, um, I really didn't want to do it. I kind of had that, you know, same feeling going into training camp time and stuff like that, that I had in previous years where I really just wasn't into it. Um, all that much. I mean, I still love watching Sunday night football. It's one of my favorite things to do on Sunday nights and listen to Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels call the game. It's just, it's so calming. I crack a beer, just relax, try to avoid the Sunday scaries about having to go to work the next day and, and the week coming up and all that stuff. So it's one of my favorite things to do. I always did that no matter how much I was into the, to the, uh, the NFL season or not. But this year, I don't know. I'm just so fired up and I am playing fantasy football. I joined a league. My buddy CJ reached out to me. Like I mentioned, I wasn't going to do any fantasy football leagues. And and he reached out to me with a league with all uh, West Virginia guys that I went to college with. So it's pretty cool to catch up with some of them. Um, and I got a big win in week one. So some things never change. I kind of expected that. But, uh, you know, I, I digress from that. So it, that makes it exciting, too, whenever you got some guys to look forward to. And I got to admit, man, I got to admit, I've been out the game for a little while in fantasy. Like I said, I really wasn't paying too much close attention. Um to the, the the league, you know, I've been watching the games and stuff, but I haven't really been up on who's the best player and all that other than obviously the household names and stuff like that. But, you know, going into that fantasy football draft, thank God I was in the hospital and I had to do it on auto draft. Yeah, I'm auto draft guy. I think there was a couple other people in our league that were auto draft, but thank God for that because I was looking through some of these things and I'm like, I don't even know who these guys are. And it makes me feel old. It makes me feel out of touch. Uh, but I got to get back on it because I'm 1-0 and I'm coming for the championship. But again, I digress from that. Um, so again, I was so excited. I'm, I'm still so excited. And Thursday night I'm in the hospital. I'm like, yes, the baby's going to be sleeping. Hopefully I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to have some dinner. I'm going to watch the game. And it was Thursday night. It was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champions taking on the Dallas Cowboys in the banner raising game. And before I even get into that, I got to mention the Dallas Cowboys have some of the best jerseys in the NFL. 
Um, and maybe that's sacrilegious to say because I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and some of the history and the rivalry they've had over the course of the two franchises. But honestly, they haven't played each other in any meaningful games for a very, very long time since the mid-90s, really. Um, so that, that's kind of worn off a little bit. But I got to tip my cap to the Dallas Cowboys for the for a sick jersey and sick uniform combination when they wear the road blues with the silver pants. It's it's badass. So swig a beer for the Cowboys for that. Not something I, I thought I'd ever say on this podcast or in my life at all is swig a beer for the Cowboys. Um, but man, it, you know, it was an unbelievable game. Tom Brady, what a player. What a player. This guy, he's 44 years old. He never slows down. He's out there zinging the ball around. He's got zip on his passes like he's 25 year old Tom Brady. Um, when's he going to slow down? Like every single year, people are like, this is the year he falls off. This is the year he falls off. I don't think they're favored this year to win the Super Bowl. I think Kansas City is, and we'll dive into them in a minute in their week one game. But I'm pretty sure they're like maybe second or third. I want to say second and having the best odds to win the Super Bowl. And they returned all 22 starters from last year's championship team. That's unheard of. Like, so whenever you go into the NFL draft, I heard, uh, I think it was Colin Coward on Fox Sports, somebody on his show, and I'm sure there's people listening right now that are rolling their eyes or they're scoffing at Colin Coward because he's a bit of a polarizing talking head and a little bit of a shock jock, I guess you could call it at times. But I happen to like his show. It's very informative, and I like him as a as a person. He kind of plays the heel role, similar to Mark Madden here in Pittsburgh. And uh, obviously him and Mark Madden get along well, so it's not surprising. But I heard that... You know, it's pretty crazy because Tampa Bay, going into the draft, they did not have any draft needs. Like, they were returning all their starters, all 22 guys. Now, they could fill depth pieces. They didn't really need anybody. You know, like most teams. So take the Steelers, for instance. They had no running back. James Conner was the shits. I'm sorry. He was the shits. Great story. Terrible running back. So... They needed a running back really bad, so they knew they had that need, and they were going to be willing to spend a first-round pick on it. Some people thought maybe that's a little bit risky. You know, Running backs have a short shelf life in the NFL. Maybe you shouldn't do it, but I think they got an absolute dog out of uh, Alabama and Najee Harris. What a player he's going to be. He had a great preseason and a pretty good first game, all things considered, in the NFL. We'll talk about here in a minute, but you know, stuff like that. You look at other teams, maybe they need a linebacker, they need a corner, they need a safety. They need, you know, most of the time it's offensive linemen. And then the teams at the top of the draft order are looking for a franchise quarterback, and those don't grow on trees. But if you're Tampa Bay, you return to all your coaches. You know, it's crazy to me to still to see Byron Leftwich calling plays for Tom Brady um, as the offensive coordinator. But B.A., Bruce Arians, you know, great head coach. They returned all their coordinators. I don't think they lost any position coaches. They literally returned everybody. So how could you not think they're going to win the Super Bowl again? You know, they've been unbelievable. They had a couple hiccups last year. I think they got beat 38-3 by the Saints at one point early in the season. But they signed Antonio Brown midway through the year. And honestly, I didn't even realize how much of an impact Antonio Brown had on that team. Like, I just thought, you know, okay, he's going to be like the third or fourth option. They got Mike Evans. They got Chris Godwin. They got Rob Gronkowski. They got Leonard Fournette. If Leonard Fournette could focus and catch the ball out of the backfield, he's one of the best, you know, pass-receiving running backs in the NFL. They've got a lot of weapons on that team. And Antonio Brown came in, and he played very well. He played well in the Super Bowl. He got his ring. I'm happy for him for that. It's sad what happened with him and the Steelers and how that ended and everything, but we've talked about that before on the podcast. But they've got him. He's like a third or fourth option. This team is loaded. 
and I'm still taking Tom Brady over Patrick Mahomes any day. Mahomes is a stud right now. He's the talk of the town. Um, he's what's hot right now, obviously. But Tom Brady, until somebody you know knocks him off his throne, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he racks up number eight this year. And I kind of hope he does it. I hope he just keeps winning the Super Bowl until he decides to retire. Um, but this game against the Cowboys, the Cowboys showed up. You got to give them credit. I thought they had no chance. I'm not sure what the spread was going into the game. Dak Prescott coming off an injury in the offseason, didn't really play in the preseason. I'm not sure he played at all. He had a pitch count on how many throws he could throw in training camp. But he came out playing really well. A little bit timing issues in the first quarter. Um, you know, Missing some receivers, missing some throws. But you expect that, especially the first game of the year. But obviously, you expect that if the guy missed um, you know, mini camp, training camp a little bit and was rehabbing, wasn't really getting the reps he would normally get. So I was not surprised by that, but he really picked up his game in the second half, um, played very well. Um, but the Buccaneers were just too much, and Tom Brady was too much. You leave him too much time. At the end of the game, I believe the Cowboys had the lead, and uh, Tom Brady comes out. You give Tom Brady like 30 seconds to drive the field, the length of the field to set up a field goal or a touchdown, doesn't matter. He's getting the win. Um, Antonio Brown in the game I mentioned, you know he's he's a breakout player for the Buccaneers. He's a big X factor for that team if he can get going. And it looks like he's returning to his form that he was when he was a Pittsburgh Steeler. This game, five catches, 121 yards, and a touchdown. Unfortunately, was on the uh, the other team. My buddy Saul from college playing against me in fantasy football it didn't hurt me too bad. I still got the dub as I mentioned, but you know this guy Antonio Brown, man, if he gets going, he's still I think he's still the best player on outside of Tom Brady, but the best you know receiver for sure. Uh, and big playmaker on the Buccaneers. I don't care what anybody says. He's still probably the best wide receiver in the NFL. You can say DeAndre Hopkins. You can say whatever you want. When Antonio Brown's on top of his game, nobody can run a better route than him. Nobody can guard him. If he gets in the slot potentially a little bit with uh, having Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the outside and having Gronkowski up the middle, how the hell are you going to stop this team? How are you going to stop them? Um, just an unbelievable game and just a back-and-forth shootout. Exactly what you would want uh, if you're the NFL for the first game of the year, they had fans packed the stadium. It was great to see coaches on the sidelines not wearing masks. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get into all that mask stuff, but it's just it's nice to see it back to normal, uh, at least some sense of normalcy. And the NFL being back is huge. It's just a celebration of this time of year. Summer's winding down. I love summer, but fall's great. You know, hockey's coming up. Football's getting going. College football too. Um, it's just an unbelievable time of the year, so I'm so happy about that. It was great to sit and actually watch the full game because, like I said, I was in the hospital. I had nothing else to do. It was the first time in a few years, maybe five, six years, I've sat down and watched an entire football game from start to finish. Um, you know, it, I, I'm just I'm just really excited. I'm really excited for it. It's a swig of beer for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting the win, um, avoiding the, the upset there from the Dallas Cowboys. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you got to figure you're the best team in the NFC East. I know it's not a great division. I think Washington, the, uh, the Washington football team, I'm sorry, they have uh, one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I believe, got hurt in week one. So we'll see what happens at the quarterback position. And big questions there in that division uh, with the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. And one thing I thought was crazy about this division was uh, I saw Robert Griffin III. I'm not sure what channel he's on or what um, network he's an analyst for, but he was tweeting about how he wants to go back and finish the job and go back to Washington and join the Washington football team. So we'll see what happens, man. If you're a Washington football team fan, you know, what do you think about that? You know, I know my brother-in-law, he's a big fan, uh, grew up down there in Virginia his whole life. So I'd be interested to see what him and his buddies and people down there think about bringing RG3 back. But 
at any rate, Cowboys, they deserve a swig of beer for that. Um, another one, which is crazy for me. Uh, but really, the swig of beer goes to Tom Brady and Tampa Bay because Tom Brady, they might win every game this year. Switching gears a little bit over to the AFC, the Pittsburgh Steelers traveled to Orchard Park, New York, to play the Buffalo Bills, who are really like one of the darlings of the AFC. Everybody wants the Bills to, or everybody's picking the Bills to come out of the AFC, certainly out of the AFC East. Um, that division now that Tom Brady's out of it, it's wide open for the, the Dolphins and not so much the Jets, but the Dolphins and the Bills going after it. And everybody's picking the Bills. Um, and there's just a lot of there's a lot of question marks for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I had no you know, confidence that they can go up there and get a win. They've got a, basically an all-new offensive line. Their right tackle, I think, is the only player returning, and I don't even remember his name right now, which should tell you enough about him. He's not a household name, no knock on him, but he's kind of unproven a little bit. He played a little bit last year, but no uh, Marquise Pouncey this year at center, so that's a big adjustment for Ben Roethlisberger. They've been together for a very long time, obviously. I mentioned Najee Harris, the running back, um, just an absolute beast from Alabama. Coming out, so you're, you're, you know, there's a question around what he can do. Obviously, he's got to translate to the NFL. We had an outstanding preseason, great camp, so um, expectations are high for him. And going into the game, I mean, even on defense, you look at TJ Watt, he didn't have a um, any practice at all at camp. He ended up signing a few days before the season starts, I think $28 million a year, somewhere around 100 some million guaranteed. Um, and boy, did he show up! He showed up, and um. You know, Ingram, I think the other guy, that's his name, the other um, pass rusher on the other side, the other outside linebacker, had a hell of a game. I mean, the Steelers, they rallied. Uh, They played a great game. The first half, they didn't really get anything going on offense, but the defense showed up, and that's really what they're going to have to do all season, I think, if they're going to have success and potentially make the playoffs and make a run at the uh, AFC North Division because the Browns and the Ravens we'll talk about in a minute. And even the Bengals. I mean, Joe Burrow, who knows what they're going to do? And Joe Mixon and those boys, who knows what they're going to do? It's always a tight division, but I think the Steelers are really going to have to focus defensively and see if they can um, control games like they did on Sunday against Buffalo. It was 10 nothing at the half, but honestly, that was a win for the Steelers in my book because their you know their offense was really really stagnant couldn't get anything going three and out after three and out um, limited number of first downs and and the defense is really showing up and keeping um, you know Buffalo and Josh Allen in check and honestly I have to say it Nobody circles the wagons like the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> I can just hear Chris Berman saying that man whoop 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 you know, I, oh man, two minute drill was great. I always loved the two minute drill. Chris Berman, what a guy! Um, but like I said, you know the Steelers they played very well. They went up there. They ended up getting the win. I think twenty three to sixteen was the final. Uh, just a great game. Juju Smith Schuster played well. Chase Claypool, great touchdown. Um, Najee Harris, again on my fantasy team, didn't have a great game. I think he had like forty or fifty yards somewhere in there. Um, but. You know, a lot of things to like if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and a Pittsburgh Steelers player. Um, we'll talk about it in a minute, but they host the Las Vegas Raiders this week. And it's always tough for this West Coast teams to travel east and play a 1 o'clock game. So the Steelers got a good chance uh, to get out to a 2-0 and start. And I think they're playing with house money early in the season right now because I thought, you know, most people would chalk them up as getting an L up there in Buffalo. Um, so... Swig of beer for Mike Tomlin, swig of beer for Ben Roethlisberger, and the boys getting a big dub, and T.J. Watt as well. Huge impact. Had a strip sack. Just an unbelievable game for T.J. Watt showing up and shutting the hell up, uh, or shutting his critics the hell up, I should say. Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this guy, 
Talk about a guy missing some portions of training camp, missing minicamp, having a little bit of a riff with the organization. He wanted some more input on personnel decisions, uh, was a little bit upset about how some of the veterans on the team were treated on the way out. Some stuff we talked about on previous episodes that have been well documented. Um, comes into camp. If you're a Green Bay Packers fan, I mean, this first game, you got to be thinking, you know, I know what they're thinking. I don't think it's right because. Aaron Rodgers has earned the right to kind of do what he did, and he's he's been so good for so long. I mean, he's the reigning NFL MVP, for crying out loud. But they came out and laid an absolute stinker in Jacksonville against the New Orleans uh, Saints because New Orleans couldn't play in New Orleans due to the uh, hurricane a week or so ago. And laid an absolute A, got pumped 38-3. to And I, I got to figure the fans in Green Bay, they got to be pissed off. Uh, I'm sure they're calling in to talk radio saying this guy all offseason he was in Hawaii with his fiance or he was doing this and that and this and he doesn't look like he cares about the game anymore and blah 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 but you know as as Aaron Rodgers said a couple years ago when the fans got on him R-E-L-A-X relax I still think they're one of the best teams in the NFC and um, they got to be right up there I think they're fourth or fifth in terms of the best odds to win the Super Bowl this year and I wouldn't be surprised if they do because Aaron Rodgers is that damn good and he'll turn it around. It's, everybody has a bad game, um, so I didn't. I didn't really think too much of that. Um, the Cleveland Browns, they went into Arrowhead at Kansas City and almost pulled off an upset. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes is just too much. And honestly, Cleveland had the game won. They had the game won. Their punter late in the game, and you could blame Baker Mayfield. They couldn't get a first down when they needed it late in the game. But they had a four point lead, or sorry, they had a three point lead. And they're like right around their their own 20 or 25-yard line. They got to punt the ball, okay? So they punt it. Perfect snap, but the punter drops the snap. And instead of even like – and I'm not going to knock him because I don't want to put myself in those shoes. And he probably did what he's supposed to do when that happens. But there's an old play a few years back before Pat McAfee retired where he did the exact same thing. And he kind of ran around and found a way to punt it, like a rugby punt. Just get it away. It doesn't matter if it goes 20, 30 yards. Just get it away. And uh, this is not what the punter did for the Cleveland Browns. He decided he was going to take off and run, just embarrassingly tackled. Uh, not a great play. Gives the ball to Patrick Mahomes at like their own 20-yard line, down three, chance to go in and win the game. And sure as shit, Patrick Mahomes goes down, orchestrates his 10th double-digit comeback in his young career, makes it look easy, uh, goes up three, and the game's over. And you know, victory slips through the grasp of the Cleveland Browns there. But honestly, a hell of a performance from the Browns. If you're a Browns fan, you got to be a little bit pissed because you guys let one get away. Uh, the team let one get away. But, you know, they went into Arrowhead against one of the best teams, the team favored to win the Super Bowl. And might I mention, Patrick Mahomes has won 21 of his last 22 starts in the National Football League, 26 of the last 28 overall, one of those losses being a Super Bowl loss. 21 of the last 22 games, he's won. I think he's 10-0 in the month of September. Just unbelievable what this guy does. And you can't give him any, any opportunities, especially like their punter did, and just setting him up in the red zone, essentially. You might as well just start walking to the locker room if you're the Cleveland Browns. Game's over. But I couldn't believe that stat. So swig a beer for Patrick Mahomes. I've knocked him a little bit on the podcast before just because everybody crowns him as the best quarterback of all time. He really hasn't earned it yet. Um, he's been unbelievable his young career. But, you know, you can't knock 21 wins and 22 starts and 26 over the last 28. So swig of this quarter's light for Pat Mahomes.
Urban Meyer. Oh boy. In Jacksonville, things are not off to a hot start. This guy, uh, he comes in a lot of pedigree in the collegiate game, but uh, obviously a lot of baggage too. And he goes into Jacksonville. He's trying to change the culture. They're building all kinds of new facilities. They're trying to make it a premier franchise, yada, 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 all this stuff. He signed Tim Tebow, ended up cutting Tim Tebow because he couldn't play tight end for shit. And um, they absolutely got dummied by the Houston Texans. Now, mind you, Houston, the Texans are without their best player, Deshaun Watson, their quarterback, who's facing a, an abundance of sexual assault allegations right now. I don't want to dive into all that, but you know, for purposes of this conversation, he's not playing. He's their best player. He's not playing. I don't know if he's on the commissioner's exempt list while these allegations are kind of investigated. Um, but at any rate, they got pumped 37-21 to 21 by Houston. Jacksonville did. And honestly, a lot of people are already talking. The countdown is on for Urban Meyer to get some health issues, quote-unquote, and bounce. Because that's what happens. He tucks his tail between his legs when something goes bad. Um, you know, I don't want to get into all the nitty-gritty of stuff that happened in Florida with the different crimes that were alleged. Um, stuff at Ohio State. You know, the guy, I'm sorry, the guy's a scumbag. Urban Meyer's a scumbag. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I know he came out, the day I'm recording this, he came out and said, no chance, there's no chance, there's no chance that he ends up at USC back in the college game because uh, Clay Helton, I believe is his name, their head coach at USC, was just relieved of his duties yesterday as of the day I'm recording this. Um, but, I mean, this guy, Urban Meyer, everywhere he goes, something bad happens. I mean, he's won some national championships. Don't get me wrong. He played or he coached very well at Utah. I think they played against Pitt. They might have beat Pitt, I want to say, in the Fiesta Bowl back in, like, 2007 or somewhere in there. Uh, maybe 04. I think it was 04. Um, and then he went to Florida. Obviously did well there, but he recruited and had Aaron Hernandez on his team. It's a it's a black eye for him there. Um, not necessarily his fault, but some of the stuff that's been alleged to have gone on in, in Gainesville uh, at the University of Florida during Urban Meyer's tenure there is a little bit troubling at times. And then obviously at Ohio State. But this guy, I mean, he's already catching flack this year in Jacksonville because he allegedly cut some guys due to uh, their vaccination status, which I honestly don't have a problem with that um, because it's an at-will employment, basically. You know, the the team can cut you whenever they want to cut you. That's the way the collective bargaining agreement works. And if you don't want, if you if you want guys that are vaccinated and not having to deal with all these tests and potentially being out of the lineup and potentially infecting the rest of the the locker room and all that. And again, this isn't anything about the vaccination, whether it works, whether it doesn't. You know, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about it's Urban Meyer and the organization's you know, right to, to say who they want to, to work there and who they want to be on the team. So I have no problem with that. But he caught some flack for that uh, from the national media and throughout the NFL and from certain fans and things like that. So, you know, honestly, this guy, I, I don't see him finishing the season in Jacksonville, or maybe he finishes the season, but, you know, I don't see them turning it around at all. So I don't think Urban Meyer will be there very long. So we'll see We'll see what happens with him. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about from week one in the NFL season was that ridiculous Las Vegas Raiders and Baltimore Ravens game. I mean, at the end of the game, I don't even want to get into all the shenanigans that happened in the game. It was crazy. Just some poor coaching decisions, bad turnovers. I mean, it was an absolute joke of a game. Just a laughable National Football League game. And John Gruden, some really questionable decisions. You thought the Raiders were going to lose, then the Raiders you know, were going to win, and you thought the Baltimore was going to win, and then they blew it. And in overtime, Lamar Jackson, who I think is an absolute jabron. I'm sorry. I don't think he's very good. 
Um, you know, no knock on him personally. I know he had a good career at Louisville. He had a great first year, but now teams have film on him. He is the he's a young Michael Vick in terms of, in my opinion, in terms of as soon as anything breaks down, as soon as anything breaks down. He immediately tries to run. He wants to run. That's his thing. He really doesn't have any confidence in his throwing arm. I mean, you saw the film from training camp where he was missing guys in seven-on-seven drills. He was missing guys with no defense out there. He's throwing the ball way over their head. He's throwing it short. He's throwing it right. He's throwing it left. He's completely missing every receiver. Just looks like an absolute amateur out there. But in overtime, you know, he's they're trying to go down. I think it's uh, next score wins at that point because each team had already had a possession. And... He steps up in the pocket, but he's running like he's got the ball out, like he's playing backyard football. He's not protecting it at all. It gets stripped out of his hand. He's just an absolute jabroni. He's smacking his helmet. He knows he did a bad thing, but he does it time and time and time again. And you know that's that's one thing I think that's going to plague the Baltimore Ravens. I I'm not sure he's the answer, especially now. You know teams have film on him, and uh, obviously the first game is tough to to grade because. Teams have had so long to kind of look at your film and game plan for you and stuff, but I think that's going to come back to bite Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. But they strip the ball, the Vegas Raiders do, and then they go down and they throw a touchdown pass in overtime. And it was crazy because right before that, they were about to kick a field goal on second down, and then they took a delay a game penalty, which was ridiculous. So they had the field goal unit out there, and then they they run the offense back out there. And for some reason, Baltimore just completely decided they weren't going to cover anybody. They were just going to completely commit to stopping the run there. Because, I mean, I guess, um, you know, it w- you would think that the Raiders were going to run the football because they were just going to try to get those five yards back, you know, take the clock down a little bit, and then boot a field goal to win the game. But Derek Carr noticed something. He He's basically pulling a Madden. You know how in Madden when you're playing, like, this always happens to anybody that's ever played Madden. You're, like, trying to make a pass, but it's just, like, Natural for you to keep holding the left joystick down so your guy keeps backing up. So you're trying to throw like a five-yard pass, but you dropped your quarterback back 35 yards. That's kind of what Derek Carr did. He was just running back, running back, running back, and he off his back foot, he throws it. Wide open guy for a touchdown to win the game. It was absolutely insane. If you haven't seen these highlights, go check them out. Um, but it was pretty crazy. Just an unbelievable game and definitely a, a, a fun game, entertaining game to watch to cap off week one of the NFL season. So swig of beer for the Raiders getting the win. I was happy Baltimore took an L because the Steelers won, obviously. Um, and I didn't mention the Bengals, but they did pick up a victory in week one. So who would have thought? I mean, who would have thought the Steelers and Bengals would be the only teams in the AFC North to win the first game? I know Cleveland going to Kansas City and winning was obviously a question mark, but you know, again, so great to see fans back in the stands, back to some sense of normalcy. And I wanted to point out one thing uh, that I thought was pretty cool was Taylor Lewan, the offensive lineman for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, he has a podcast on Barstool called Bussin' with the Boys. I can't remember what his co-host name is right now, but it's a decent podcast if you like football. It's not bad. Um, but he came out basically, he had a rough week one, just a real bad game. And he admitted it. He owned it. And I really respect the hell out of it. He said, Got my ass kicked today. No way around that. I let the team and the fans down. Thank you, Chandler Jones, for exposing me. It will force me to get better. So I thought it was pretty cool. Chandler Jones was having a field day with him. Bull rush, swim uh, swim move, you know, kind of just spin move, all that shit, getting to the quarterback, disrupting the play, just having a field day against Taylor Lewan, and you got to respect it. And Dave Portnoy, the president of Barstool Sports, came out and quote-tweeted that tweet and basically said the same thing, you know, I let everybody down. Because Barstool Sportsbook, the gambling site, week one of the NFL season was down all day. All day. 
just an absolute joke. So you got to feel for Barstool there. Good thing I do my gambling through DraftKings. And speaking of gambling, some big matchups this week. I'm not sure which ones I'll pick. Um, you know, I, I might tweet out some picks if I'm feeling anything at Rambling Brews on Twitter. But they got a couple big matchups. You got the Chiefs and the Ravens. The Chiefs are three and a half point favorites. Uh, I mentioned the Raiders are traveling to Pittsburgh. One o'clock game for a West Coast team is always tough. The Pittsburgh Steelers are five and a half point favorites. Um, and these spreads are as of the time I'm recording this podcast, so they may shift a little bit before game time this weekend. And then you got the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Like I mentioned, those two teams have a chance finally to win the AFC East after Tom Brady departed from New England. Uh, the Bills are three and a half point favorites in that game. So the Bills looking to bounce back after losing to the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And like I mentioned before, nobody circles the wagons like the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Swig a beer for the Berg, baby. I did want to switch over and talk a little bit about college football. I'm not the biggest college football fan. I was whenever I was in college, uh, but all the guys are like 18, 19, 20 years old. This makes me feel old. So I've been more into the NFL, as I mentioned. But, you know, I, I did want to recap a little bit of the first two weeks. Um, the first game, obviously, that I that comes to mind was, you know, Clemson and Georgia. Big matchup, two juggernaut teams. Clemson, obviously, you know, the cream of the crop the last few years. They've been loaded, still loaded. Um but they, they played Georgia. I can't remember where the game was. It was a neutral site game. But it was a funny uh, video that was released before the game, maybe a couple days before, of Dabo Sweeney, the head coach for Clemson. He was kind of flying in a plane. I don't know if it was a private jet or a charter or whatever it was for a Clemson. And he was talking to their new quarterback, who was in, was there in the past, but obviously Trevor Lawrence was their quarterback the last couple of years. Um, just an unbelievable player. He ended up getting drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars now in the NFL. Uh, but this guy, you know, he, he's getting his first chance at the reins of the Clemson Tigers. And Debo Sweeney's kind of looking out the window of the plane and he's pointing at the stadium and he's like, that's where you're going to be dropping touchdown after touchdown after touchdown tomorrow. Get excited, blah, 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 trying to get his quarterback fired up. And the complete opposite happened. Georgia ended up dominating the game on defense and Clemson played well defensively too. You know, uh, Georgia ended up winning the game 10 to 3. And if you're a Clemson, you're a Clemson defensive coach or defensive player, you know, you only give up 10 points. You got to hope that your team can get a, you know, get some touchdowns or get some field goals or something, give you a little bit to work with. Um, but my biggest takeaway from the game was Taj Boyd. This guy, he's a coach for Clemson. He was a quarterback, you know, I think maybe back when I was in college or maybe right after. I'm not sure if he was the quarterback um, in the Orange Bowl when WVU hung up a 70 burger. Um, and beat them 70 to 33. An unbelievable game. Just I go back and watch the highlights all the time. I remember being in college. They had you know 70 33 banners hanging over the interstate going into West Virginia all over the place. Everybody loved it. Clemson was the butt of all jokes. And then unfortunately, West Virginia is now stuck with Neil Brown as their head coach. And Clemson's gone on to be a complete juggernaut in the college football um, you know playoff scenario. But I digress from that. But Taj Boyd, he's a coach there. That made me feel so old. I couldn't believe that um, this guy. I mean, whatever happened to him? He was decent in college. He wasn't the best quarterback, but he was solid. You'd think he'd be able to make a practice squad team or play in the CFL or something, but maybe he's getting some big uh, big dope coaching for Clemson under Dabo, and we'll see what happens, but I just was surprised by that. It's crazy to see guys that you watched play when you were in college are now coaching, and it hasn't been that long. At least it doesn't seem that long, but it has been you know, eight years for me. Jesus. Um 
couple other notes from week one. Penn State, they got a big road win against Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, honestly, they're always pretty good. They're ranked pretty high. I think they were ranked 12 going into the game. I want to say Penn State was ranked 19 at the time. Uh, but Wisconsin always seems to have one or two losses. They always seem to be kind of a little bit overrated and let down. And Penn State does at times as well. And something to keep your eye on is uh, rumors about James Franklin. I mentioned USC having a head coach vacancy earlier in the podcast, James Franklin and USC apparently have mutual interests. So we'll see what happens there. I'm not sure why or what James Franklin has done at Penn State that would warrant him getting an opportunity like USC and why he'd want to go. I think Penn State's a pretty good job, but you know, we'll see what happens with all that. And Florida State, Florida State, man, what an absolute joke of a program. They've come a long, long way from, uh, you know, having Deion Sanders and it's just now they're just a laughing stock. They're an absolute joke. Bobby Bowden, man, he's got to be absolutely just rolling over in his grave. They lost to Notre Dame in week one, and then they went and lost to Jacksonville State in week two at home. Jacksonville State, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks. I didn't even know they had a team. I had no idea who this team was. It was a cupcake on the schedule. They laid an egg. They're now 0-2. Just a joke. Just an absolute joke of a program. you got to feel bad for Seminoles fans. Um, And then Ohio State, Oregon. This is week two now, but... Man, Ohio State, they come bombing out of the tunnel. They're fired up. They're playing Oregon. Oregon's back to being a national power, you know, like they were when they had Chip Kelly. They're a great team to watch, really fun to watch. And the drum major in the band is leading the band out or whatever the hell he's doing. He's running out there, trips and falls on the concrete, just completely falls, sets the tone for what's about to happen to Ohio State. And Oregon, I'm pretty sure they they scored a touchdown on the same play, a little toss play, a little motion toss three times. And just an absolutely abysmal day for the defensive coordinator for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I'm so happy about it. I know I got some Buckeyes fans that listen to this podcast, but I can't stand Ohio State. It's nice to see them lose and have their fans knock down a peg or two. Um, but man, you got to feel obviously if you're if you're a Ohio State fan. So it's they're honestly they're not out of it. No team's really out of it because Clemson lost and Ohio State lost, and some of the other heavy hitters you know are struggling a little bit, but. I mean, Alabama, they're Alabama. They never rebuild. They always reload. How do they do it? How do they do it? They're a surefire bet to make the college football playoff this year. And really, the other couple positions are wide open. Anybody has a chance to get those. I think some of the top-tier programs, even if you have a loss like Clemson or Ohio State, I think you got a chance to get in there. And um, I've been riding with the Tennessee Volunteers this year. Obviously, I'm a West Virginia grad. I love WVU, but I'm a little bit upset with Neil Brown as the head coach. I think he's a jabroni. Uh, I think they're like maybe 500 or one game under 500 since he took over. I know Dana Hogerson didn't really leave him anything. He left him bare cupboards. But at the end of the day, I want to see results. And I just didn't think he was the right hire at the time. Um, I'm not actually you know in tune to it as much as some people may be. So some people probably think I'm wrong. But I mean... The results speak for themselves so far. And until he proves me wrong, I'm right. Uh, That's the way I see it. Um, But with the Tennessee Volunteers, I mean, they absolutely got beat by Kenny Pickett and the Pitt Panthers at Neyland Stadium in Tennessee this past weekend. A big surprise. I bet on Tennessee to win that game. I didn't think Pitt had any chance to win. And honestly, you know, Tennessee's quarterback, he couldn't hit sand if he fell off a camel. It, it It was brutal. 
Um, he was just overthrowing everybody. Not a great performance for him. Uh, but you got to tip your cap to Pitt going down there and getting a win. So Pitt fans are fired up here in Pittsburgh. They'll be let down. They'll lay an egg against a bad team. I, I can't remember a couple years ago, I want to say they went to Clemson and won, and then they ended up losing to like Boston College or some shit team. So that's what happens if you're a Pitt fan. Um, but Tennessee, man, I don't know what's going to happen with the Volunteers. They've been pretty bad for a very long, long time. The last note I have on college football, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. He's the best-ranked quarterback recruit in Alabama history, which is hard to believe. He has 571 yards and seven touchdowns in his first two starts, which is an Alabama record. And with the uh, name, image, and likeness, the NIL thing I talked about on the last episode that was approved by the NCAA for players to make some money off their name, their image, and their likeness, Bryce Young got a podcast deal with the Volume Sports, which is owned by Colin Cowherd. Um, I mentioned before, he's going to have his own podcast. Um, unreal. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to talk about and stuff like that, but I'm happy for him and get a little bit of a revenue stream. And hell, you never know if something doesn't work out in the NFL, or even if it does, you can keep the radio show, the podcast going, have a, a career with some experience in media, set yourself up for the future. So it's pretty awesome that Colin Coward and the Volume Sports are doing that with athletes. Uh, pretty cool to see. I wonder what Nick Saban thinks about that, but I think you're going to see more and more and more of this across all sports. Uh, but swig a beer for Bryce Young. What a what an outstanding get for that young man. I want to switch gears a little bit and get into some hockey talk. Because as I mentioned in the intro, the uh, NHL season is right around the corner, and I cannot wait. I'm ecstatic. I'm so pumped, as you could probably tell. But before we get into the NHL, I want to talk a little bit about a documentary I watched recently that I'm sure you probably heard of. If you haven't, you're probably living under a rock and you need to check it out. But it's a part of the Untold series. I talked about the Malice at the Palace documentary with the Indiana Pacers versus the Detroit Pistons on the last episode. But it's the same producers and the same guys. I think they have a deal to uh, have five documentaries from Netflix. And this is one of them and probably the best one. At least that's what they say. Um, But it's on the Danbury Trashers, the team in the United Hockey League back in 2004 through 2006. And this guy, Jimmy Galante, he, I don't want to say he was tied to the mob um, in Connecticut, but he, you know, he, he pretty much was. And he was connected for sure. Definitely had some influence. Um, a lot of people that know anything about the Sopranos show on HBO say that this show or that show was loosely based a little bit on the Galante's life. Uh, they were like the real life Sopranos. They owned a trash company, which was pretty much a front for some illegal activity. And you got to watch the documentary to get all the ins and outs of everything they were doing. And the story behind it, it's fascinating. But basically, Jimmy Galante bought the uh, team in the United Hockey League and brought them to Danbury and named them the Trashers, you know, after his family business and gifted them to his 17 year old son, AJ who was in high school at the time to be the team president and basically, you know, general manager and have, you know, permission to do anything he sees fit. So they all worked together and AJ at the time, and I think still is based on some interviews I've seen with him recently was big into professional wrestling. He wanted to be a heel, um, you know, as a team. And if you don't know what that means, basically that means you want to be a bad guy. You want to be, um, you know, the guy that everybody hates. So that's what they did. They set out to be a team that was very difficult to play against, but was good. Their first signing was Wayne Gretzky's brother, Brent Gretzky. And they basically told the media, you know, we signed Gretzky. We signed Gretzky. So the local media is like, what the hell? They got Wayne Gretzky, but it it ended up being his brother, Brent, which was really isn't fair to Brent. He was a good player, but they wanted to do that marketing wise. And 
Um, they ended up getting so many goons, guys that like hadn't skated in five years but could cause a ruckus and just beat the shit out of the opponents and all that. It's definitely a different time back then. This is kind of right around the NHL lockout in 0405. So they had some NHL players that were playing. They had um, talks with Donald Brashear and George LaRock and Sean Avery. Imagine Sean Avery on the goddamn Danbury Trashers. He was built for that, as AJ uh, said on a Spit and Chickless interview this past week. Um, they also did actually sign Mike Rupp. Uh, he scored the game-winning goal in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final the previous year before the lockout for the New Jersey Devils. And then he was playing for the Danbury Trashers. Um, and, and a lot of those guys, honestly, it got him in trouble with the league, the, the Trashers, because, like I said, Jimmy, the, you know, the guy that bought the team, he was tied with the mob. They had a lot of money and stuff like that and a lot of influence. And they got some of these bigger-named guys, and they gave them you know, more money than the salary cap would allow and duffel bags and stuff like that and gave them bonuses for starting fights. And you know, Jimmy Galante and AJ would be up in the press box giving hand signals to the guys to kind of start fights and go after people. It's, it's an absolutely absurd story. Um, you know, and, and two of the craziest things they did, you got to check it out, but they had a guy, I think his name was T-Bone. He was their equipment manager, and this guy was nuts. But they used to do stuff like they would go to the market and they'd buy fish and they'd let it rot. And then they put it in the HVAC system in the uh, opposing team's locker room so it smelled like old fish so the guys would throw up. Or they'd pull fire alarms at 3 in the morning at the other team's hotel. Um, they'd shorten the bench a little bit so the other team couldn't fit all their guys on the bench. Just all this crazy stuff. They'd steal the goaltender's pads right before the game for the other team. Just crazy shit like that that was happening, and um, you know they ended up getting sued by the NHL at one point because the Atlanta Thrashers were in the NHL, and the Thrashers tried to. They wrote a letter back to the NHL saying they'll play the Thrashers for the name. Just an absolute gong show how this could happen. It was so entertaining. My wife and I watched it. We really enjoyed it. Uh, she was kind of like closing her eyes a little bit because it was just like basically fighting all the time. It was just crazy. A different time. Different time for sure, old time hockey, but these guys were goon city, man. They were just, you know, the other team had to be shaking in their boots and the fans were just eating it up, loving it. And it's not all bad. I mean, Dan Barry still has a hockey team. I'm not sure exactly what league they're in, but the the sport of hockey grew there. Um, they've had some players come out of Connecticut, New Haven, Stanford, that area. Uh, so pretty awesome that, that that's had some influence there, but just a crazy story. So swig a beer for AJ Galante. I'm going to try and get him on the Rambling Brews podcast. That'd be hilarious. But swig a beer for them and the, and the Danbury Trashers. Some quick updates in the NHL. I mentioned uh, training camp starts on September 22nd, so here coming up pretty soon. Um, i got some big things coming down the pike for the Rambling Bruce podcast. I'm excited for you guys to hear that. Some cool guests coming on. Uh, just working out the itinerary and the details a little bit, hoping to get them on pretty soon. Um, the biggest news from the NHL offseason so far, at least right now, is uh, the mechanism for teams to suspend unvaccinated players who are unable to participate in club activities. So basically, this includes situations where a player cannot travel because of local, provincial, state, and or federal regulations upon return. Such individuals would forfeit the equivalent of one day's pay for each day they miss. So that's pretty crazy. These guys that don't get vaccinated, they're not required to be vaccinated, but if you're not vaccinated and you end up failing a test and you can't practice or you got to sit out, you end up actually do catching COVID, have to sit out for seven to 10 days or whatever the case is with regard to how long the quarantine is, depending on where you're at, you know, what state you're at, what country, what province, whatever, um, you'd have to forfeit some money. Uh, pretty crazy. And if you're fully vaccinated 
and you test positive, it's still considered a hockey-related injury. So you'll still have to quarantine, but there's no dock and pay or anything like that because they've done their part, essentially, in the eyes of the NHL. Um, players can opt out by October 1st if they choose to not play this year. So we'll see what happens with that. I think they're still up in the air regarding whether those players would uh, burn a year on their contract or the contract would just pick up next year whenever they're back. I think that's still to be decided by the Players Association in the National Hockey League. Um, Also, the unvaccinated players are tested on a daily basis, whereas vaccinated players are tested every 72 hours. Uh, You're seeing it around the uh, sports world, especially in the NHL, a lot of arenas. I'm sure the NBA will follow suit since a lot of them are in the same arena as the NHL team, but they're requiring vaccination proof or a negative test to attend the games. Um, so we'll see what happens with all this. It's going to be great to see fans back in the stadiums and the arenas for hockey. I'm so excited to get back in PPG Paints Arena. Um, I just I can't wait. I can't contain my excitement, as you can probably tell in the sound of my voice. Um, and as far as unvaccinated players go, it's pretty crazy. Like I know people have their principles for not being vaccinated or whatever. I'm not knocking that. That's your decision, whatever you want to do. But uh, as far as the NHL rules go, it says on the road, unvaccinated players cannot enter internal venues other than a team hotel, practice facility, or game arena. They're not allowed to use the hotel gym, pool, sauna, steam room, or other shared facilities. They're not allowed to have teammates, team staff, or visitors inside their hotel room with the exception of fully vaccinated family. They are not allowed to leave the hotel to eat or purchase food, or use any restaurants, bars, in or out of the hotel that are open to the public. They can't pick up food except where the restaurant provides curbside pickup or a similar service that does not require entrance to the main restaurant. So they're really trying to see you know, what they can do to get all these guys vaccinated. I think all the personnel on each team has to be vaccinated, all the equipment managers, all that stuff. If you're not, you can't do it. Uh, so the NHL is really putting their foot down, and obviously the NHL Players Association agreed to these parameters. So We'll see how that goes. I'm going to take a swig of beer before we get into some other notes, but it's going to be a bitch if you're an unvaccinated player to be playing a full season and you can't do shit just like last year. So we'll see how many guys end up choosing not to be vaccinated. I saw the Carolina Hurricanes, I think, are the first team to announce they're 100% vaccinated for the upcoming season. I'm sure there'll be a couple other teams that follow suit. Some other notes from around the NHL. Sidney Crosby had wrist surgery, expected to miss about six weeks. Uh, The same wrist that he had an operation on a couple years ago, and I think the same wrist that he had issues with back in 2014 in the Mike Johnston era when he really struggled down the stretch uh, and then didn't play well against the New York Rangers in the postseason, only had a one goal. Um, And it was really the talk of the town about Sidney Crosby being injured. So you hope he can recover. Right now, as the timetable Uh, maps out if he's able to come back in six weeks he'll miss the first three or four games of the season I'm sure ESPN and the NHL are not too pleased about that because uh, Pittsburgh travels to Tampa Bay for the first game of the season on ESPN in the banner raising game for the uh, Lightning to raise their back-to-back banner so a little bit of star power missing from that game also with Evgeny Malkin who we've talked about on previous episodes having surgery this offseason as well he's out to at least January I believe from what I've read um, so going to be tough sledding for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first few months, uh, first few games, obviously missing Crosby. If he comes back, they'll be fine, but missing Malkin has a big hole in the middle of the lineup there. We'll see who can fill that. And maybe the Penguins try to make a trade, uh, before the season starts as camp approaches, but I don't really see that happening. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. Their, their, uh, playoff streak 
you know, is really in jeopardy this year, I think. But, you know, on, on an episode upcoming, I think next week, uh, I'm going to do my playoff preview on who I think is going to win each division um, and, and go from there, kind of, and give my thoughts. I'm not saying the Penguins are going to miss the playoffs, but it's going to be tough sledding because if you start, you know, two and eight, two and nine, somewhere in there, you're in a big hole, especially in that division with the Islanders. The Rangers are upcoming right now. The Capitals are still pretty good. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'm never going to lose faith in Sidney Crosby. I think they can get the job done. They've got one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. We'll see if Tristan Jari could bounce back, but a lot of question marks uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins this year, especially when you add these injuries in. Um, Jesperi Kotkaniemi for the Montreal Canadiens is now a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. He was offer-sheeted by the Carolina Hurricanes. It's funny because it's the exact same offer, a $20 signing bonus, which is funny, and um, basically, they offered the same offer that, not the same dollar amount because Ajo is a better player, but the same type of offer and the same quote was released by Don Waddell, the GM for Carolina. The exact same quote that Mark Bergevin, the GM for the Montreal Canadiens, released whenever the uh, Habs offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo a couple years ago. So pretty crazy. Uh, but Montreal decided not to match the offer sheet, so Carolina claims the player. They pay him $6.1 million this year. He'll be a restricted free agent, I believe, at the end of this season so they can renegotiate, hopefully, to a lower price at their liking because I think $6.1 million for Jesperi Kakaniemi is a lot of damn money. Um, in return, Montreal gets a first and a third-round pick in, 20, in the 2022 draft. They've already flipped that pick, I believe, the first-rounder to Arizona for Christian Dvorak. And I think that's an upgrade, honestly, for the Montreal Canadiens. So you got to give uh, credit to Mark Bergevin. So swig a beer for Bergevin. He kind of played it pretty well there. Um, you know, you, you kind of have to laugh a little bit at Carolina, what they did. I'm not sure it was smart, but I think they wanted to get back at Montreal for uh, offer sheeting Sebastian Ajo. But you really can't compare Sebastian Ajo and Jesperi Kakaniemi. Um, you know, when you look at it. And Kakaniemi plans to start on the wing in Carolina. They're already loaded at center. So we'll see how it happens. If it works out, it works out. doesn't matter what the money is if you're Carolina, if he contributes. So we'll see what happens from there. But I think Montreal is pleased and their fans are pleased getting Christian Dvorak and also a third-round pick, basically, for Jesperi Kakaniemi. So swig a beer for Mark Bergevin. Uh, what a move that was. Uh, I mentioned on the podcast a few times, Kirill Kaprizov still unsigned. I want to talk about that. He's he's basically being uh, targeted at about a $9 million AAV, so average annual value of $9 million. We'll see what happens with that. Hasn't been signed yet by Minnesota. Talks are slowing down a little bit. People are you know asking questions. Camp's approaching. Kaprizov's not signed. That'll be a big blow for Minnesota if he doesn't start camp there or if he potentially stays in the Continental Hockey League this year over in Russia. Um, speaking of international play, the NHL and the NHLPA and the IOC have agreed for the NHL players to go to the Olympics this year. I can't wait. Uh, this is going to be the best hockey tournament of all time. Um, some of these teams are just absolutely loaded. I mean, you're going to get a chance to see Team Canada having Sidney Crosby, Nathan McKinnon, Brad Marchand, Connor McDavid, Mitch Marner, Braden Point. I mean, this team is absolutely loaded. Team USA, Patrick Kane, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Johnny Gaudreau, Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones, John Gibson. I mean, unbelievable. And not even to mention like Sweden and Finland and uh, Germany going to have Leon Dreisaitl. Like, it's going to be unbelievable to watch. I cannot wait for the Winter Olympics. It's built into the season. I think it's two weeks in February. I want to say it's February 7th through the 22nd. 
is the uh, I guess the All Star break starts on the fourth, but the All Star break doesn't include the Olympic guys. They go over. I think the Olympics are in Beijing this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but good for the NHL. The uh, I guess the IOC, the Olympic Committee, has agreed to pay the insurance, so the uh, owners were okay with them going. I'm not sure if the NHL will be able to use any of the footage or anything like that, but. It's just a good good thing for the NHL, and I'm so excited. Although the games will be on at like 6 or 7 in the morning, I'll be up watching them all. I cannot wait. I did that whenever they were in Sochi. It's electric. It's a hell of a time to watch hockey. It grows the game, in my opinion, so I can't wait. I'm just hoping that Jake Gensel makes Team USA. He should make it if he has a good year, a good start to the year this year on Sidney Crosby's wing when Crosby gets back. I don't think they can do- deny him at all, so we'll see uh, what happens with that. But again, this might be... Like I said, it's going to be the best hockey tournament ever. Team Canada's roster is going to rival the 87 Canada Cup where it was like Messier, Gretzky, uh, Ray Bork, Lemieux. I mean, unbelievable. So swig a beer for the NHL, finally getting this right and getting these players back to the Olympics. Last thing I'm going to say on the NHL, uh, TNT released the full list of game and studio commentators for the upcoming season, and it's pretty stacked. You got analysts in the studio, Wayne Gretzky, Anson Carter, Rick Tockett, and Paul Bissonette of Spit and Chicklets fame. Uh, the play-by-play guys, you got Kenny Albert, one of the best in the business, Brendan Burke, great, great play-by-play guy. Ice level, you got Keith Jones with that crew. And analysts during the game, you got Eddie Olchek, Darren Pang. You got contributors, Jennifer Botterill, Tarek El-Bashir, and Jackie Redman. Uh, Jackie Redmond's a rocket, by the way. Uh, Liam McHugh is going to be the host. So they got a star-studded lineup here. And one thing I wanted to talk about was Paul Bissonette. So this guy, he's on uh, Spit and Chicklets podcast. He played for the Arizona Coyotes. He was actually drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins, played a brief time in the Penguins organization, uh, won a Calder Cup in Manchester as part of the Kings organization, the Manchester, um, I think it's the Monarchs, I want to say it was at the time, over there in California. And Deadspin, just absolutely brutal media Deadspin. Used to be good, now they're a bunch of jabronis. All they do is rant and rave about how bad Barstool is. They call them Barfstool and all this stuff. It's just stupid. It's just whiny little bitches, and that's all it is. If you don't like Barstool, just don't listen to it. It's not a big deal. I mean, you know, Paul Bissonette is a very nice guy. Uh, He actually sent me a cameo. Shout out to him. Shout out to my wife for getting me that for my birthday. But... You know, I'm not sure what he did to deserve that. They're basically saying like TNT's, you know, going against the the way the game should be going, getting away from misogyny and uh, bigotry and sexism and racism and all this stuff. And I'm not sure how you could say Paul Bissonette contributes to that. I mean, maybe he said some things in the past that aren't like, you know, kosher for today or whatever you want to say about it. Um, and I'm not excusing some of those things, and he'd be the first person to admit what he said, but I think he's a damn good analyst. He's entertaining. Uh, he played the game. He he adds the kind of the element of the physicality of the game and the mentality of a fighter and stuff like that. So I think you need that. You got Gretzky. You got Anson Carter, who's kind of like Biz, and you got Rick Tockett. So Rick Tockett and Wayne Gretzky are two of the best players in NHL history. Um, you know, Tockett's awesome. And I think it's kind of a good round, you know, lineup a little bit. I just Deadspin just poo-poos everything. They're not fun at any parties. I'm sure they're just a bunch of jackass jabronis. I can't stand them. I tweeted about it. Uh, I ended up deleting the tweet because my buddy Matt reached out to me and basically said, why are you giving these jackasses any um, you know, any of your energy? And I respected that. So I deleted it. I don't see how anybody can take Deadspin seriously. 
You know, so swig a beer for Paul Bissonette. I know he's going to kill it. He's going to knock it out of the park. Whenever he joined Spittin' Chicklets, that podcast took off. He's an awesome guy, just hilarious. So hopefully uh, nothing but success for him and nothing but success for NHL on TNT. Swig a beer for those guys. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some baseball. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast over the last 29 episodes, you know that you probably never thought you would hear that come out of my mouth. And honestly, you know, I, I just want to talk about something real quick. I, and I don't want to shit on this player at all. He's very well deserving to make the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, one of the best baseball players of all time. I read his book when I was a kid. I idolized him a little bit uh, whenever I was younger. My mom got me his book, uh, The Life You Imagine, back in the day. I think it was like the year 2000 or 2001. I read it. Great book uh, from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Derek Jeter was elected to the Hall of Fame uh, recently. And like I said, well-deserved, definitely deserves to be in first ballot. One of the best players ever. But I want to get some feedback from people at Rambling Brews on Twitter. Text me at Rambling Brews uh, podcast on Instagram. Who was a better shortstop during their time? Nomar Garcia Parra or Derek Jeter? So Nomar Garcia Parra played for the Boston Red Sox, an absolute stud. Um, from 1997 to 2003, I'm going to go over some of these stats, and I want to hear your opinion on it. So from 1997 to 2003, wins above replacement. The leader was Nomar Garcia Parra with 41.1. Batting average between Jeter and Nomar. Nomar was ahead with .325. Slugging percentage, .557 for Nomar. OPS, Nomar, .929. OPS Plus, Nomar, 135. Singles, 990 for Jeter. Doubles, 270 for Nomar. Triples, 44 for Nomar. Home runs, 169 for Nomar. Total bases, Nomar, 2075. RBIs, Nomar, 653. Top 10 MVP finishes, Nomar, 5. So of the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13... Stats I've just gone through, 12 stats, I should say. I'm sorry, math guy. Nomar has won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven of them. Of the 12, he had better stats than Jeter in 11 of them. Now, you tell me, now I, I know every stat can be picked to fit a narrative, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm saying, why does Nomar Garcia Parra not get the love that Derek Jeter did or does? Other than the fact that Derek Jeter dated all the hottest women in the world, there's never been any dirt about him, and he played for the New York Yankees. Somebody tell me. Somebody tell me why Nomar gets disrespected. He's married to Mia Hamm, I believe, or he was. I'm not sure if he still is. If he still is, I'm sorry for even uh, potentially thinking that he wasn't. But somebody tell me that Nomar Garcia Parra doesn't deserve to be mentioned You know, right there with Derek Jeter. Um, shorter career, obviously. Less plate appearances, stuff like that. But, you know... At the same time when they're playing, Nomar was out dueling him, and you can't deny the stats that I just went through. So please, somebody reach out to me that has some knowledge on baseball. I'd love to debate that. I just wanted to point that out, but I'm going Nomar Garcia Parra. Swig a beer for Nomar and Jeter. Hell of a career for both guys. The last two things I want to say on the podcast this week, um, I feel like every time I do one of these podcasts, Somebody has passed away. I got to pay my condolences. I want to say rest in peace to Norm McDonald, one of the best, a legend comedian. Um, 
just an unbelievable guy. He had a great, great career at SNL. He had some hilarious jokes on uh, late night TV. Just a great guy. If you want to go watch a video that's hilarious, go watch the 1998 ESPY Awards where he hosted and he's just roasting sports and some of the players. It's it's all time funny. Um, passed away at 61 years old, I believe, after a nine year battle with cancer. He kind of kept it secret, which is pretty awesome and. You know, as everybody that's close to him said, that's the way Norm would have wanted it, and that's the way that you know Norm did it. So rest in peace to Norm McDonald. Uh, swig a beer for him. And last thing this week, I saw a tweet. I had to bring it up on the podcast. I'm not sure exactly who tweeted it. I'm sorry for not crediting you, but Conor McGregor. I'm sure you saw it. Conor McGregor tried to fight Machine Gun Kelly at the VMAs red carpet. I think it was the VMAs. Um, what in the world is Conor McGregor doing? I got to get my buddy Jared on here, JTL, to talk about that because he's making an ass out of himself. And the tweet that I saw was perfect. And that's the way we're going to end the podcast this week. Somebody said Conor McGregor is basically living out season seven of Entourage when Vince Chase gets a drug problem. Not saying McGregor's on drugs, but basically is showing that he's going off the deep end. He's making an ass out of himself. He's not what he once was. He's a complete laughingstock. People think he's a joke, and honest to God, he might get fucking knocked the fuck out by Jake Paul. I would not be surprised if they ever fight uh, that Jake Paul gets him. And, uh, you know, with that being said, I hope you guys have a hell of a week. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around. Here. That is love, but to me it's looking counterfeit. I get done with one and move right on to another bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, college educated, she graduated. Any bill she can't front, her parents paid it. The show was far. You the only one with a car, your girlfriends. But being that she's a big fan, of course she made it. Most girls wanna hide the fact that the thrill they chasing. But you just wanna get drunk tonight and fuck someone famous. So I just name a time and a place in your game for it. Value player, hotel room, meet you there. Walking on a dream. Hoping I explain. Talking to myself. Just traveling the world. Will I see you again? <laughs> Trying different drugs and girls. Consume. We are always running for the <laughs> 